Welcome to the Rosenberg Roundup, a weekly podcast providing investors with key macro and market developments, insightful data analysis, and actionable ideas that are top of mind for the Rosenberg research team in the week ahead. I am Dylan Smith, and this is the Rosenberg Roundup. On today's show, we'll spend a minute on the Fed's latest communications, we'll unpack the composite leading indicator's record run of annual declines, we'll discuss what Canadian inflation returning to target means for the rest of the world, if anything, and why the Magnificent Seven are indeed a throwback to the 1960s. But first, a change of format for this week's episode, I'm joined by my colleague Jacob Rosenberg as a guest co-host today. In addition to being Dave Rosenberg's son, he runs operations for Rosenberg Research. He knows our research backwards, and he's always on top of the markets. More importantly, he's developed an instinct for when to call me out and when to let me rip. And that's why I'm genuinely delighted to welcome him aboard today. Jacob, great to have you here. Yeah, thanks so much, Dylan. Uh, Really happy to be here, and thanks for the great introduction. Let's kick things off with the Week in Review. All right, let's start with the Fed minutes from Wednesday. Uh, In January, Powell pushed back on an immediate rate cut, but did the discussion reflect that? Well, as you know, the Fed publishes a a kind of sterilized account of the minutes of the meeting a a few weeks after the meeting happens, and that can often add a bit of richness to how the committee's thinking about key issues. This time, the minutes actually matched very well what Powell said in the press conference, which hasn't always been the case in the chairman's tenure. The main takeaway was that the Fed is absolutely laser-focused, all members, on seeing inflation continue to moderate down to target before they even consider cutting rates, especially given that they see very little to worry about in terms of employment and growth. So we got the message of focus on inflation, not a huge amount of detail around what they would actually look for in the numbers themselves, but the clear focus is inflation. So for markets, that just means that the monthly consumer price index release, monthly producer prices consumption data and consumption deflators, those releases are going to be even more critical than usual. Yeah. And I mean, that's one of the unfortunate limitations of the minutes. They can only really tell us what's happening in January. Uh, Is there any more recent insight you can provide us from Fed officials? Yeah, that's a great question. There's been a lot of talk from Fed officials lately, a lot of what we call Fed speak, uh, FOMC members appearing on panels, making speeches and so on. And unusually for this group, they've all been singing from the same hymn sheet. There's been very little disagreement. The message is very clear. We like where inflation is going broadly, but we're not convinced it's going to settle down at target yet. Markets don't get too excited about a rate cut just yet. Mid-year is probably the right pricing. Three cuts in line with the dot plots is probably the right amount of cuts. And we'll wait and see what the rest of the data sees. So very consistent messaging. And I think we're in a period of kind of fixed stability for the next few months as that messages sink in and we just see kind of where inflation goes. Okay. Uh, Before we move on to the week in review, we should probably touch on the leading indicator and the recent news that came out regarding the conference board and the recession call. It's starting to feel a little lonely out here. On our own isn't the same as as lonely. Um, And, you know, there's no question that the LEI, the leading indicator, uh, is sending a very recessionary signal at the moment, and it has been for a long time. And that signal is getting stronger with each month of annual decline in the indicator. But just a bit of background on the leading indicator. This is a composite index of data that have historically predicted future changes in growth and activity. Things like hours worked, manufacturing orders, building permits, stock prices, all the stuff that moves before GDP. 
Um, and by the way, stock prices are actually keeping this index a lot higher than it would otherwise be. But the key point from this 23 straight runs of annual decline in the index is that it's never been this deeply negative for this long without a recession. And it's also never been this far away from the coincident indicator, which is things you know that are currently telling us about where the economy is. It's never been that far away without indicating a recession either. So we're still seeing a very strong negative signal there. And we're either a few months off a recession or something has changed in the structure of the economy that has broken the informational power of the indicators in the leading indicator or the sub-indicators. So in retrospect, we can explain how extensive fiscal stimulus in 2023 and consumers just saving unexpectedly delayed a recession, but we can't quite see how it's completely derailed. Uh, and even though some are treating the fact that the stock market has pushed up the index a little compared to recent months as a reason to throw in the towel on a recession call. We've yet to hear an explanation for why these historically powerful data series might have lost their forecasting value entirely. And that still makes us very nervous that a downturn is pending and that a soft landing is going to be difficult to pull off. Yeah, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the key takeaway here would be how lofty stock prices have affected the leading indicator. Yeah, that's right. This bull run is really throwing a spanner in the works, but the, the fundamentals on the other indicators are, are not looking positive. Okay. Well, next week, we'll get some durable goods data, the conference boards, consumer confidence, and last but not least, consumer spending. Um, that'll hopefully give us a lot more information on how we've started the year after the recent shaky inflation and retail sales data. For this week's Spotlight, we gave readers a bit of a history lesson. Dylan, did you know that the original film, The Magnificent Seven, was released in 1960? I did, and that's apt, because our colleague Marius Youngster wrote an excellent piece this week on the similarities between the modern Magnificent Seven, those seven tech stocks that are driving markets at the moment, and the Nifty 50 of the 1960s, which got picked up by the press and got a lot of attention from our clients. So clearly there's an appetite for economic history out there. I think in the 1960s, my dad, Dave, he was in elementary school. So maybe you can enlighten us. Uh, what's the nifty 50? <laughs> exactly. And you and I weren't around to play the stock market back then and experience it firsthand. But our more seasoned clients remember them as a small group of stocks around which a very strong narrative developed. And that drove a big bull market throughout the 60s. And essentially, the story behind these stocks was that they were one decision equities. You buy them and you forget about them. Makes investing very easy. If that sounds familiar, it's because a similar narrative has now developed around a small group of tech and AI-focused stocks um, that we're now calling the Magnificent Seven, because there's seven of them. We're talking about NVIDIA, Google, Microsoft, Meta, and company, who are all essentially one-decision stocks in the sense that I want AI exposure, this is the place to get them, buy and forget. Okay, but what kind of stocks? What are we talking about? Well, for the original Nifty 50, one of the big differences with the Magnificent Seven is that they were all real economy stocks. We're talking famous names, McDonald's, Johnson & Johnson, Coca-Cola, Eli Lilly, etc. And there were also a few more what would have been back in those days tech-oriented names like Polaroid and Burroughs Corporation, which have now unfortunately joined the choir invisible. But, you know, the key insight is that at their peak, the valuations of these stocks moved all the way up to where we are on the Magnificent Seven today, over 40 times price-to-earnings ratios. Okay. Uh, I think I know the answer to this already, but how did it end? Well, not pretty. They weren't so nifty in the 70s. Between 1973 and 1975, these stocks lost 60%. And the lesson is quite clear. A company can have great fundamentals, 
and good exposure to high growth themes, but the price matters for return, the price you're going in on. And if it's too high, it's very difficult to make returns in the long term, and you even risk a big crash when the bubble pops. Okay, Jacob, it's time we stopped and made your first visit over to Canada Corner, because there is some very interesting data to discuss from the Great White North this week. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Canadian CPI uh, cracked below 3%. So question on everyone's mind, does that change our view on the Bank of Canada? Well, not really, unfortunately. It's a good data point to be sure, and Canadians will be relieved to see inflation dip into the 1% to 3% area that the bank targets. And it does make it more difficult for them to come out with any more hawkish noises. But the important point was that shelter inflation, and rents in particular, remained very hot, still running over 6% annually. And that's the big focus right now for the Bank of Canada. We heard that loud and clear in the January meeting. And from our perspective, we think that focusing on shelter inflation is that their way of saying, look, we're worried about the housing bubble, right? I mean, we want to see house prices and the associated rental and housing services prices come down before we ease up on, on our rate policy. Okay. But do you think they're going to cut before the Fed? Well, we can put it this way. It's more likely than before we got this good inflation number. Uh, and actually, markets have now taken this view. They're pricing the Bank of Canada to cut before the Fed partially because of how far the Fed cuts have been pushed back based on on their chat and the poor inflation data from the US in January. Um, but that might discount how much the Bank of Canada is actually willing to push on housing. And, you know, we're taking that signal from, from Governor Tiff Macklem that he's very worried about shelter inflation to heart. And that kind of leans against this narrative that we might get the bank going first. Okay, uh, next question for you. Uh, can you read anything in this print that goes beyond Canada's borders. The eternal question, how much does Canada matter to the rest of the world? Well, it's actually important to remember that Canadian and US inflation are close to 90% correlated, right? They're almost like one economy in that sense. Now, in January, we saw a massive downside surprise to Canadian inflation, as we've discussed, but also a big upside surprise to US inflation, which ran unexpectedly hot in Jan. So based on that historical correlation, one of these has got to be wrong. And... Our view is that there was enough kind of one-off factors and well-known January seasonal adjustment issues down south to believe that it's the U.S. actually that where inflation will come down towards kind of what we're seeing in Canada rather than vice versa. The U.S. is probably the anomaly, and that makes us feel better about the trajectory of, of U.S. prices. And on that happy note, I think it's time to wrap. I'm Dylan Smith. You, of course, are Jacob Rosenberg. And that was the Rosenberg Roundup. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Rosenberg Roundup. For more information on our work and to take advantage of a free 30-day trial of our research, please visit rosenbergresearch.com. Make sure to tune in to our next episode for more insightful analysis on the macro and market landscape. Rosenberg Roundup is provided for general information and entertainment purposes only and does not constitute legal or professional advice, nor is it an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to purchase any security or derivative. Any views expressed by the participants of Rosenberg Roundup are solely their own and do not necessarily reflect the views, opinions, beliefs, or policies of Rosenberg Research. 